At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with Jessie Sheehan, the queen of easy-peasy sweets whose latest cookbook, Snackable Bakes, is full of them, including this week's genius recipe for epic snickerdoodles. Now, this recipe of Jessie's alone gets my utmost gratitude, because you can bake them straight through, without waiting for anything and because of Jesse's tricks and shortcuts, in about 20 minutes flat, you'll have warm cookies from the oven. In fact, on the day that we were shooting the video that's on Food 52 today, my family's childcare plan didn't work out. And my three-year-old ended up baking the cookies with me, and she never got bored or wandered away from the kitchen. That is a very, very snackable bake. We will get to more on those epic snickerdoodles in a bit, but first, here's Jessie on some of her favorite tricks that she picked up after leaving behind careers as an actress and a lawyer and started all over to bake. It's funny, when I was thinking about this kind of idea and where you kind of get your 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 inspiration or your the the, the tricks that you end up using over and over again and where they come from, you know, I would love to say like, oh, my God, it was my grandmother or, oh, my God, it was my mom or, oh, my God, it was my best friend or my home at class. But because I didn't grow up baking, it was absolutely 100 percent my first baking job. And I, I worked in a bakery in Brooklyn. And, the you know, honestly, because I didn't know very much, everything they told me was amazing and seemed like a tip or a trick, <laughs> including like add the flour. Um but in fact, um, a couple of things come to mind. The first is, I know Sarah Kiefer's made it popular, but the pan banging situation of how to, it's funny, at the bakery, it was less about getting the ripples that Sarah gets. And it was more about when a, you know, a huge sheet tray of, of cookies would come out and they would all be slightly puffy or slightly rounded, we would smack those trays on the counter in the bakery to flatten the cookies. Um, sometimes we would use a spatula to flatten them, um, which is something that I've, you know, I'm like a very flat cookie kind of gal. I'm just not a puffy person or puffy cookie person. <laughs> and so I really was drawn to that idea and that way of doing it. Because it, it's funny when people, I'm just, I'm the girl at the bake sale who sees the puffy chocolate chip cookie versus the flat chocolate chip cookie. I'm always going to go with flat. But that was one of the, you know, tips or tricks that I learned early on. Another one, which is kind of fun, which I think everybody does, although you never know, is I was taught when you were mixing with a bowl on the counter, as opposed to like using your stand mixer to mix in ingredients, 
you should be twisting the bowl to the um, to the left while you move your spatula to the right. So you're kind of I'm always moving my bowl this way and then scooping like this. I'm kind of I'm obviously showing you, which is a little silly because we're doing radio here. But um, (laughs) I'm like, the you know, the old lady is like, what? They can't see me. Um, (laughs) But it's a it's this movement that allows you to make sure that you're properly like scraping every single side of the bowl as well as the bottom. So the action with your hand is to bring the spatula down the center of the bowl and up the side of the bowl. Then you turn the bowl and you do it again. And it's funny, as I describe it, it sounds so complicated, but I'm like the the most uncoordinated person. So the fact I can do it <laughs> makes me know that everybody can. But it's a it's just a really good way to make sure things are properly mixed without overmixing, which I think is people can get a little crazy with mixing too rapidly and overworking their flour, etc. But it's a nice way to make sure you're incorporating everything properly, but also making sure that you're not overdoing it. It also seems like maybe an efficiency of motion. I've had chefs correct me on my lemon zesting technique. Like I have this way that I love that I learned from Food52's co-founder Meryl Stubbs, where we, you know, we just zest on top of the lemon. So all the zest gathers up on top of the microplane and then you can kind of swipe it off. Right. I love I love that you're not like chasing lemon zest all over the counter. But even though I was so proud of myself that I think this technique is so great. I've had chefs correct me and say, no, you need to rotate the lemon too. And and I'm, I've tried it and I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I can see how if you have to zest like 40 lemons, taking the weight off of your dominant hand and letting your other hand do some of the work can be important. Do you feel like that's kind of what's going on too, moving the bowl as well as your arm? 100%. Like I said, and I, I'm not going to lie, I don't throw like muscle memory around very frequently because like I don't even know if I know what it means, but that's how it feels when I have that bowl. Like it really, it just like instinctually, my hand is turning one way and my other hand, my left hand is turning one way and my right hand is turning the other. And that bowl is moving in a circle the whole time with this move with the spatula again, where you're scraping the side of the bowl, but then also coming down through the middle of the bowl. So you're, you're kind of getting everything. And I remember this also from, you know, in the bakery, we would have those huge Hobart mixers, which is just like a massive stand mixer on the, you know, on the floor of the bakery. And I even remember then we weren't moving the bowl of the Hobart, but it was that same idea of how to scrape the bottom of the bowl, which is coming down the center of it and then going um, off to the side just to make sure you incorporate everything. And those muscle memory things, once you get them, you'll, you'll never forget them. Like you, you'll never feel kind of clumsy and unsure about how to, to do something once you do it a few times and, and you get that rhythm. I totally agree. And it's that funny thing where like, once you describe it, you forget how to do it, but your body, you're like, I know <laughs> yeah. that I'm sure everyone listening is like, what's she, what she talking about? But I, it's just, I know what it feels like the minute I start to do it. And I know the way the bowl feels and the spatula in my hand. And it was really what, you know, I learned that right after I finished my granola packing days, I was on to <laughs> I was on to the mixing bowl, the mixing bowl ballet. Um, but uh-huh. I, I learned it and, you know, it's still totally a part of how I do things, how I assemble a recipe. Just as much with the big Hobart mixing bowls as at home with your one bowl baking. Yeah, 100 percent. And then I had one more thing that they taught me that I still do to this day that I think makes everything 
genius, as it were, um, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, intense relationship or familiar relationship with my sugar in the raw or my turbinado sugar. I sprinkle it on almost everything. I mean, obviously, if I'm making a cake and I'm going to be frosting it, probably not. But it's like I feel like a bakery trick for making your muffins kind of look more fantastic, for making your loaf cakes look a little bit fancy. If you're making a biscuit and it's maybe going to be a sweet biscuit, I would do my egg wash and then I would sprinkle my sugar. I have a couple of fudge recipes in my book. And not to gild the lily, but on top of the fudge, I like to sprinkle definitely some a little bit of flaky sea salt. But I also like the contrast of the turbinado sugar or the sugar in the raw as well. And whenever I do it, it's for the same reasons. It's for that sparkle and it's for that crunch. And then it's for that sort of added yummy little, you know, burst of flavor, burst of sweetness. But I do feel like people don't realize that something as simple as that can really elevate. Like, you know, people would come into baked the bakery where I used to work and they would think our muffins were so beautiful. And they were beautiful because they had these beautiful big, you know, tops, which people love. People People dig a muffin top, but um, <laughs> but they also um, had all this sparkly beauty to them, which I think made them look fancier and more special than just like a straight up muffin that had a beautiful top, but didn't have that kind of shiny, sparkly situation going on. Yeah. And that crunch, it like can't be understated how much of an impact that has on how we perceive something that we're eating. Like if there's the, the nice like browned crunch from just the baking, that's great. But then the sugar just enhances that. I couldn't agree with you more. It's so interesting that you didn't have a lot of like foundational baking memories before your first baking job, because I'm just trying to picture you, you, you know, you had a career as an actress and as a lawyer if you weren't really already a baker, like what was it that pulled you to walk in to baked and ask for a job there? It sounds weird, but I swear to God, Kristen, it was my voracious sweet tooth. I mean, it's been guiding me where, you know, <laughs> leading me along the way. For, like I joke that like my best friend, who's my best friend to this day, I met her in fourth grade. When I think about our early memories, I mean, there are a lot of great memories, but I do think about all the sweets her mother bought, like Sara Lee pound cake, like stuff that wasn't at my house. Um, her mom loved Pepperidge Farm cookies. We we bought Oreos, so I didn't know about Pepperidge Farm. Like all of those sweet memories and the things that I ate with her are so strong when I think about our friendship as kids. And I think the same thing with going into bake. You're right. I was practicing law when I got pregnant with my now, you know, almost 19 year old son. And I went on maternity leave and I joke I'm still on maternity leave. And then, you know, kind of was home with my with that son. And then I had another little boy and um, just kind of again, I wasn't making sweets at home. I was still purchasing what I wanted to eat. There was a place back in the day in New York City called Taylor's that made enormous Rice Krispie treats, like massive ones. And I I was like a regular, you know, every day, like I'm here for the treat. Like it didn't even occur to me to be home making them. I was still purchasing everything. But at this juncture with my little boys and, you know, they were starting to go to preschool and I was starting to think about next professional steps. I was like, you know what? I I love sweets. I kind of want to learn to make sweets. I have no idea where this will lead me. It's not like I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to do this for a little while then I'm going to open my own bakery or then I'm going to write a cookbook. It was purely, I want to learn how to do this because like I keep talking about how much I love it so much, you know, maybe I could even learn to to do it myself. 
And then when you started working at Baked, was it just kind of like the whole world of sweets opened up to you? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it was so funny because at first, like, I wasn't even allowed to do anything. Like, they stuck me in the decorating section bagging granola with like a vacuum sealer and like I was I wasn't even very good at it because I can't use a vacuum (laughs) sealer I was just like how does this even work but I remember being in in that area of the bakery and there were windows all around it so people could see in and there were lots of there were these little um shelves um kind of along along the windows that were just filled with with sprinkles and and decorative and sparkling sugars and all the different tiny jars and tiny containers of things that you would decorate with. And I just remember like seeing those tiny jars like all around me and being like, oh, my God, like I'm home. Like this feels so right, even though I was literally bagging granola. Like I wasn't even making anything, but there was something about being surrounded by the tools of the trade and the ingredients of the trade that just felt so crazily right to me. Um, So it was a really cool moment. And then slowly they gave me a little bit more responsibility. You know, they taught me to make like loaf cakes or they had a very simple like coconut macaroon recipe and they taught me to make that. So baby steps, I got to learn how to do things, to make muffins or to make biscuits. Um, But they started me very slowly and basically started me like, staring at like little containers of sprinkles that was like I was like this is the best job I've ever had I'm looking at sprinkles all day (laughs) so you were home yes that's how it felt I know it sounds a little schmaltzy but it was like really true it was like one of those aha moments where you're like oh my god this is so exactly where I want to be it doesn't sound schmaltzy it sounds (laughs) incredibly appealing (laughs) so many of us crave that feeling in our work yeah Hey, it's Kristen. We will be back with Jesse to hear about one particularly snackable bake in just a moment. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Welcome back. Before the break, Jessie and I were talking about some of her favorite tricks and baking philosophy, and now we'll get into one especially genius snackable bake. So let's talk about your new book, Snackable Bakes. For you, what defines a snackable bake? To me, a snackable bake, first of all, it doesn't have to be baked. You know, the word is a little bit like more like kind of the British, like just a sweet or a treat. Um, Although I'm not even sure if that's British. I might have made that up. But um, a snackable bake is really 
an easy peasy sweet or treat, the recipe for which is going to have a very short ingredient list, a very limited amount of instructions, preferably everything is going to be found on one page. So you're not even turning pages to figure out what you do next. The ingredients are all going to be pantry friendly. The assembly is not going to take you 20 minutes. You know, maybe it will take maybe one or two take 20 minutes. But in general, the assembly for these recipes is much, much shorter. Bake time can be long just because sometimes things take a long time to bake. But during that period of time, lucky you, there are hardly any dishes to clean because mm-hmm. um, you have only used a bowl, a whisk, maybe a spatula. Um, uh, if you're using a scale, you've got even less to clean up because there's no measuring cups, or, um, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's what a snackable bake is. It's, some, it's, it's basically something that's going to be super easy to throw together. It's not going to take very long to do it. You're not going to use very many pieces of equipment from your kitchen to do it. And you've probably got the, the ingredients in your kitchen already. Well, these snickerdoodles in your book seem like the perfect example of a snackable bake to me. It's something that was already pretty simple and you've made it even more simple and snackable while still giving us a cookie that could have come right out of a fancy bakery. The first thing that drew me in there were, I mean, other than the fact that I love a snickerdoodle, it was the, the note you had about the not quite melted butter that first grabbed me. Can you explain to us what is going on there? It's one of those things. And it's funny, you know, in the beginning we were, we were talking about tips or tricks that maybe you picked up years ago that have become a part of your baking. Sometimes I feel like we do things I'm sure cooking, baking, that we don't even realize are, is something special that is worth sharing. And that's what's cool about writing a cookbook, because you find yourself doing the same thing over again in recipe after recipe. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a genius. And I got to tell peeps about my genius thing. Mm-hmm. When I when I snackable bake and when I create recipes for snackable bakes, I use either melted butter or I use oil. Unless I'm making a buttercream frosting, then I'm then you're going to have to use some softened butter. Um, But because I want to use a liquid fat, because when you do so, you don't need to pull out your stand mixer. I realized that so many recipes will say melted butter, melted and cooled, butter, melted and cooled. And I get that because you don't want to put super hot butter in with your other ingredients, either because you're worried that something might curdle like an egg or or, uh, milk product or whatever it is, or I didn't want the butter to be super hot when I was mixing up my recipe, when I was mixing up my ingredients, because more often than not, particularly in a cookie, I wanted that cookie to be able to go right into the oven and not start kind of melting and spreading all over the sheet pan because it had had, because it had gone into the oven already warm. Just so people know, when you have a a batter or a dough that's already warm when it goes into the oven, obviously it's going to bake a little bit faster. It's going to cook a little bit faster, whatever it is. So in a perfect world, if I'm trying to make a cookie that doesn't need to rest in the refrigerator, that doesn't need to be chilled or frozen or anything, I need that cookie dough to be absolute room temp when it gets into the oven. If I put the cookie dough into the oven when it's still warm, I'm not going to get back to what we were talking about earlier about the way I like cookies to look. You're not going to get the shape of the cookie that you want, the rise of the cookie that you want if your melted butter was in there and the cookie gets in the oven and immediately starts spreading. So I was thinking about that when I was developing recipes for the book, particularly for cookies. And I was like, well, here I am telling people they never have to wait when they make any of my recipes, but now they've got to melt butter and then they got to sit around and wait. They can't. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm always like sticking my, don't worry, it's a clean hand. But I'm always <laughs> sticking my finger into the butter to see if it's warm yet, you know, if it's a cool to room temperature. And then it's like messy. And I just, it was, it was like annoying. I can't remember exactly how I came to this idea, but it was sort of like almost like when you temper chocolate and a hack way to make some tempered chocolate is to take the chocolate, either not melt it all the way or melt it all the way, but then add some room temperature chocolate back into that chocolate and mix it. And it just helps reduce the temperature of that chocolate and does some kind of tempering science magic that I, sh- I shouldn't have even said the word tempering because I know so little about it. So we're just going <laughs> to stop right there and go back to melted <laughs> butter. But essentially with melted butter, to me, it's the same idea. I'm not adding room temp butter in, but I'm making sure that when the butter, that when I'm melting it, I don't melt it all the way. That way, and I'm very microwave forward, so everything's happening in my microwave, but you guys can put in the word like stovetop for every time I say microwave. But when I pull out my melted butter from the microwave, I make sure it's still pretty chunky so then I can whisk in those chunks and I'm immediately dropping the temp of my butter and I don't have to worry later on that by the time I get that cookie dough into the oven for like the snickerdoodle, for instance, um, I don't have to worry that the snickerdoodle is going to spread. Because again, I'm after this look um, of, you know, this perfectly round cookie that kind of looks a little wrinkly, all of which, in my opinion, come from like a cookie that might rise a little bit, but then fall quickly in the oven and not spread out. And then when you whisk in that little bit of shortening right after, too, is that also to keep the butter, you know, keep getting it back up closer to room temp? 100%, as opposed to, you know, I could have melted the shortening and the butter together. But I was like, again, why don't we why don't we keep using these room temp ingredients um, that will probably, you know, this butter is warm enough that it's going to melt the shortening. It's going to melt those kind of larger chunks of butter that haven't melted yet. Anyway, the shortening helps bring down the temp. And then also I love it. I know it's a controversial ingredient, um, but I love it in a cookie because it helps cookies keep their shape. You know, it's different than it behaves differently than butter in the oven. And you will get a kind of chewy, chewier, more kind of stout cookie, less spread if you have a little bit of shortening in there. I get it about butter flavor. Don't get me wrong. I love a butter flavored cookie. So I kind of think, how about if we use mostly butter? So we're getting that flavor, that vibe. But we add a little bit of shortening to help us with the shape that we want. And then I also love that you say that the egg should be cold. Um, because so often, I mean, it's like you hear vaguely that things should be room temperature or sometimes they're explicitly said that they should be room temperature, but I feel like you've, you've eliminated two things, the waiting for it to become room temperature or the, like, I forgot to pull it out to become room temperature. Um, and also the question of if it doesn't say what temperature, what temperature should I use? Um, is that also to keep the dough cool, the, the cold egg? 100%. Again, that was like a conclusion. Like I was bringing the egg to, and I just... You know, if I almost 100% of the time forget if a recipe, you forget to bring things to room temp. So I'm always using that hack where I just put the egg in like a little bowl of very hot water for five minutes or two minutes or whatever. But um, I was doing that for this recipe. And then I was like, why am I doing that? Like, <laughs> I want a cold egg. And that was why I realized like why, what, nothing. I mean, as long, you know, the trick is you do want things to mix up well and you do want things to your batter to get emulsified, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as you can do that using a cold egg, again, it keeps the temperature, you know, as room temp or low as you can get before it goes into the oven. Thank you so much for that. Um, the, the time saving and the 
the confidence to know that we're using the exact right kind of egg for our recipe. Totally. I also love that in this book, you credit a number of recipes to the people who inspired them. And so these ones are epic snickerdoodles for Stephanie. Do you, do you want to share a little bit about why these are for Stephanie? Yes. So Stephanie was um, working in the bakery at Baked when I walked in there all those many, many years ago. So I've known her forever. Um, uh, and she is, um, she tested all the recipes for my book. This was the first wow. book. Um, usually I've like kind of almost crowdsourced recipe testing, um, just sort of asking the moms and my kids schools or friends or family to test my recipes. But for this book, um, I really, I wanted to work with, with a professional, you know, I think people are afraid of that sometimes when they test their recipes because they're worried that the professional will take a shortcut that they don't even realize they're t- or do something they don't even realize they're doing that a home cook would never do. And therefore, they might get a result that a home cook would not. But what I loved about it is the collaboration of working together. If some, if one of the recipes isn't working or if one of the recipes I think tastes really good, but maybe Stephanie doesn't, I really wanted to have her palate be part of this book. Um, I mean, I should have really dedicated the book to her palate because she has like it's so much more sophisticated than mine Kristen that it she's like the perfect person for me to work with because I tend to be like oh my god is it sweet enough do we need more sugar and she's <laughs> always like you're fine you're fine we get it it's sugar we get it so she was just like she was a I felt like a perfect person to to test a, a sweets book for me and with me because I just feel like she's so smart about flavor and how you know, what will make something taste better, what will make it, what, why it's good, why it's not good. And was just, I felt like, oh my God, if Stephanie likes it, then it must be okay. For instance, I have a butterscotch pudding in the book um, that calls for butterscotch chips, which again are like a controversial ingredient. Not everybody thinks that's even a real thing. Like, what do you mean? That's not, that's not chocolate or that's not a chip. (laughs) So, but it is a great way to make a delicious fast butterscotch pudding and I was so worried when I sent the recipe to Stephanie because she's definitely not the kind of person who who likes a who likes a butterscotch chip but even she said oh my gosh these are so this is a delicious pudding so I was like yay (laughs) I brought her over to butterscotch chips (laughs) but anyway when I sent her this recipe for snickerdoodles to test she not only loved it which is so I'm sure you know this feeling when you're working on a cookbook and your tester likes something. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, my God, I'm in Mm -hmm. heaven. You're so happy. But anyway, she loved it. And she said, and and snickerdoodles are my favorite. So I was like, I'm naming the cookie after you. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Jesse Sheehan, the author of Snackable Bakes, which is in bookstores now. This week's episode was put together by executive producer Harry Sultan with editing help by Crutch Phrase Studios. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Or just send this episode to someone who would also love to go from zero to snickerdoodle in 20 minutes flat. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.